0: Luke chapter 1, I'm going to start in verse 26. It says this, Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you. Among women, one translation says highly favored. But When she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and he will be called the son of the highest and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign Over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also, that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, who we've been talking about for the past couple of weeks, Your relative has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren, for with God nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. She's basically giving God the amen. And the angel departed from her. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for your word and we ask that you would speak to us and we pray that more and more of your nature and character would be revealed to us. We want to know more about you. We want to know how knowing you relates to us knowing even what you have called us to. And so we pray that you would speak clearly to us. Help us to see what you're trying to say in Jesus name. Everybody said Amen. Amen. There's a powerful verse in Micah chapter 2 where Micah the prophet hears from the Lord and he says this to the people of God. He's talking about them and he says, You, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. This is powerful because this prophetic word is a declaration of the moment that we're now seeing here in Luke chapter 1 where Mary is hearing from the angel that you are going to be the one to carry this one, the ruler of Israel from ancient times whose origins are from old and I have to be honest with you when I read this story it excites me now because I have you know 20, 20 vision about the past. I don't always have twenty twenty vision about the present but I I think most of us in the room have a, a lot clearer vision when it comes to our past than we do our present. And so when we look at this story, now knowing everything that has happened and knowing that Mary and Joseph actually make it through this moment, Jesus is born, Jesus is raised, Jesus lives his life, he does ministry on earth, he does all the miracles that he did, and he dies on the cross, he, he's risen from the dead, he ascends to the Father and the Holy Spirit comes and, and he's coming again. Now that we know all of that, we can look at this story and and have sort of a joy in our hearts when we read it. But as we read this story, what we're actually reading is a tragic moment in the life of Joseph and Mary. Here are two people who have just gotten engaged and their life is thrown upside down. Their life is taken by God and used for something that they never even asked God for. It's one thing to be Zechariah and Elizabeth and be praying and asking God for something, and then God does what you asked him for, but it's another thing for God to invade your life and take over your life and do something in your life you never asked him to do. Does anybody in the room know what I'm talking about? Have you ever had God do something, you looked at God like, I didn't ask you for this. So let's be honest, even in a season that we're in right now, it feels like a, a contradictory moment. The songs are merry and bright and the songs are happy and filled with joy. But um, and truly for many people in this room, maybe this for you is the most wonderful time of the year. Uh, but all of us know that deep down inside, not all is merry and bright in this world and not all feels merry and bright inside of us. I mean, to to your children who are sitting at your house and they're watching Amazon trucks pull up and FedEx trucks pull up and UPS trucks come by and the mailman drop off packages, everything's merry and bright for them. But anybody just wanna admit, everything isn't merry and bright in your bank account right now or on your credit card statement, you know? Um, and some Christmases we can feel this frustration more than others. Uh, Christmas can be a blaring reminder, not of what we have, but of what we don't have. Who Not only who is with us, but who isn't with us. And it's a very difficult time of year for people. Mental health issues arise to greater degrees in people's lives during this time of year. And sometimes even the pressure... To feel the joy of Christmas can make joy all the more difficult. It's like somebody telling you, be happy. (laughs) All the music is saying, be happy. All the music is saying, you should be smiling. And on the inside, you don't feel those emotions. And it's even harder to be happy when it seems like someone is standing over your shoulder telling you to be happy. And I, I know that the good news of Christmas is not the presents, and it's not the Christmas trees. And although I love all of those things, the good news of Christmas isn't that everything is good in the world. The good news of Christmas is that Emmanuel, God, is with us. And so I came to tell you today that there is a fixed point in this season, and it's Jesus. Your circumstances might change. Your marital status might be different this year than it was last year. We talked about it already. The status of your bank account might be different at this point than it was last year. You might have a different job. You might have no job. You might be looking for a job. You might have lost a relationship. There might be someone who's not going to be at the dining room table this year, but in the midst of all of that, and what is the chaos that seems sometimes of our lives, there is a fixed point of reference for all of us in this room. His name is Jesus. And I am thankful today that Jesus is a fixed point of reference in my life. And my joy is not based on my happenings or my circumstances. My joy is based on a person who came into my life and changed me forever and brought peace to this soul and brought, brought, brought a sense of healing and wholeness to the wreckage that was my life. I'm thankful for that. It's amazing to me this story is, is beautiful, not just because it's a story of great joy, but it's also a story of great pain. I love the Bible because the Bible does not ignore our pain. You're reading a story, you're in a, you're in a story about a virgin who's now pregnant by the Holy Spirit who has a fiancé who's ashamed and embarrassed. You're reading a story about a family who goes on the run because a man named Herod wants to kill their child. You're reading a story about a baby born outside and laid in a feeding trough because there was no room for them in the inn. And I'm thinking, God, you have orchestrated all of human history for this moment and you couldn't make sure there was at least a reservation (laughs) for them at the hotel. (sighs) And the story is also tragic because dozens if not hundreds of families are affected by Jesus being born and not in a positive way. Many Men and women, their sons that were under two years old, they were murdered by Herod because they were after Jesus. And then in the life of Jesus, you see that this thing that began in a miracle becomes a baby that has to be raised and diapers have to be changed. It's, it's amazing how even that a miracle doesn't exempt you from the process that even though the supernatural birth happens and occurs, that you still have to raise the miracle, and you still have to feed the miracle, and you still have to potty train the miracle, and you still have to take the miracle to church, and you still have to teach the miracle. It's an amazing thing. And then in all of that, she has to watch, eventually, this miracle die. An excruciating death. As a matter of fact, this was prophesied to her in Luke chapter 2, verses 34 and 35. The Bible says there that a sword... Someone is talking to Mary and she says, a prophet in the house of God, she says that a sword will pierce through your own soul. This is a good reminder for us that even though she is favored among all women, she's still hurting. Because you can be favored and running for your life. You can have the Holy Ghost come upon you and have no place to stay. You can be carrying redemption in your belly and all hell breaking loose in your life because favor has never been about what is happening around you, but what you are carrying on the inside of you. Remember in Micah 2, he said, "'Out of you will come for me.'" Favor is not about what's on you, just ask Joseph. Joseph thought he was favored because his dad had given him a coat that signified that he was the favorite but he lost the coat. And aren't you thankful that even though he lost the coat, he lost the thing that was on him, he didn't lose the thing that was in him. Because you can't lose the favor of God. The favor of God is not about your circumstances, it's not about your background, it's not about your current situation, it's not about how much money you have or how much money you don't have. The favor of God is not about what's happening around you, it is about what you are carrying on the inside of you. And there is something on the inside of you that God has deposited that he wants the world to see. Yeah, thank you, Jesus. And favor can be a very, very difficult thing to carry. John seven thirty eight, he writes that out of your bellies will flow rivers of living water. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 6-7, through 7, Paul's writing his apprentice Timothy and he says to him, therefore I remind you, he says, stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. The Bible even talks about the anointing you have is not something that is necessarily sitting on your life, it's something that is in you, the anointing abides within you. And when God's favor comes on your life, very often it can look like the exact opposite of favor. Hey, Mary, you're blessed. Awesome. Yeah, your engagement's going to go through some turmoil. The guy you're getting ready to marry is going to assume that you've been unfaithful. And I'm going to tell him you weren't, but it's, it's going to be very difficult for him to understand. He's just going to have to trust me. Oh, and by the way, this news that I'm delivering to you, I'm only delivering it to you. I'm not going to go to your mom's house and your dad's house and explain what's going on on the inside of you to them. It'd been nice, right? If God would have been like, hey, Mary, I'm leaving here and I'm going to go tell your parents so they don't assume the worst. (laughs) And it's wild how we assume that when God blesses us or he pours his favor out on us, then people will start to look at us favorably. But very often, the exact opposite happens. When God pours his blessing and favor on our lives, sometimes people start to look at us with the side eye. Because God doesn't always explain what is happening in you to the people around you. And you have to have this part of you that's willing to look a little bit foolish, to be a little bit embarrassed, to to look a little bit out of your mind. To, to, look, to, make, to maybe look a little bit like you don't know what you're doing. If you're going to really serve God, you're going to have to walk through moments where God is only explaining to you and not everybody else what he's put on the inside of you. So you can't wait for a consensus to say yes. Hallelujah. Mary doesn't say, you know, I don't wonder how my family's going to feel about this. I wonder how Joseph's going to feel about this. She just says, if you said it, I want it an amazing thing, isn't it? That this young teenage girl whose life was about to get turned upside down and the angel reveals what's happening to her. She says, yes. See, Mary wasn't chosen by God just because Mary was a virgin. It was part of the process, but it wasn't the only part of the process. There were virgins everywhere. This isn't 2022. Come on. so it wasn't the main thing in the process it was a part of it because it was necessary for this particular thing but it wasn't the main thing God was looking for a young woman who was a virgin but he was really looking for a young woman who was a virgin who would say yes yes I think God is looking for the same thing today. He's just looking for people who will say yes. He's looking for people who understand that God might not reveal his plan to everyone. That I have to take a moment sometimes and be willing to look a little bit foolish to serve God. I'm reminded again and again of David who was willing to look a little bit foolish to serve God. He was willing to walk towards a giant with just a sling in his hand. He was willing to dance until his outer garment fell off and his own wife made fun of him but he would look at all of those situations and you and he would say to people who would mock him and make fun of him he would be like if you think this is crazy wait till you see the next thing that I'm getting ready to do because if you serve God you have to understand that God yes he is immutable in his character but he is unpredictable in his methods that means that his character never changes but his methods often do And God will shock you with His methods. Again, here we are at a story where you have two people, unlike Zacharias and Elizabeth, who are rejoicing because they got something they prayed for. Now you've got Mary and Joseph in a situation where God is doing something in their life that they didn't ask for. God acts like He is God. (laughs) And that you and I are on this earth for his purpose, not our own. That he doesn't even have to ask permission. He didn't even come to Mary and say, hey, this is what I want to do if you're cool with it. He said, this is what's going to happen to you. And I, I wonder if we are still of the mindset, like Corinthians says, like Paul would say in Corinthians, he said, your body is not your own. You have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body. And I wonder if there are people in the room today who are still open to the idea that God is in control of my life. I had a mentor of me tell me one time, he said, Rob, there are three levels of living in this life. He said, there is the world's way where we look at God and we say, I don't need you. He said, there's the saved way where we look at God and say, thank you for saving me, but don't tell me what to do. (laughs) Dallas Willard, he called this vampire Christianity. He said these are people who want the blood of Jesus and nothing else. They want a comforter, they don't want a (laughs) convictor. And I don't want to live the saved way. I want to live this third way, the king's way, where I look at my life and say I don't belong to me. My life is not my own. I have been bought with a price. And I wanna make my life open to a God who does things that are unexpected. And the way I do that is I have to become a person that lives with flexibility. Here's what I've noticed about the favor of God is that you will miss it if you marry your plan. And there are a lot of people in the room today who have married their plan. They have married their idea. They have married their agenda. They have married their whiteboard, you know, where you write your goals and your five-year plan and, you know, where you're gonna go to college, who you're gonna marry, what they're gonna look like, all of their qualities are listed, where you're gonna live, how many kids you're gonna have, how many dogs you're gonna have, what street you're gonna live on. God loves to look at all of that stuff and laugh and laugh and laugh. And a lot of people in the room today, you're frustrated because your plan died. When if your plan died and you're a follower of Jesus, if I were you, I would get super excited because what that means is that his plan is about to be birthed in your life. And there is nothing more that you want in your life than the plan of God. You don't want your own way. You don't want your own way. See, God had determined beforehand what we would look like, where we would live, what we would do. But he also has given us free will. So what God wants to do with our life is the preferred will of God. It's what God would prefer for our lives. But if we choose to go a different way, we can go that way. Here's the problem, though, is you serve a God who loves you too much to let you go without frustrating the way you go. Anybody in the room know what I'm talking about? You tried to do your own thing, you tried to go your own way, but he frustrated you so much that you finally gave in and said, okay, I've had it! Whatever you want with my life. It reminds me of Samson. The Bible says that Samson was born because the people of God had cried out for a deliverer. I believe that our life is a response to somebody's cry. I believe that I am an answer to somebody's problem. I believe that I live here for a purpose. I don't believe I snuck into the world. I believe that I was created by God. I was knit together in the womb of my mother, and I'm here for a reason. I'm the answer to somebody's issue. And so just like Samson, who who was created to be this answer for somebody's issue, I very often, though, can use what God created me with to pursue things that I want. Now God created Samson with this strength, with this charm, with this natural ability to lead people, this natural ability to look at situations that would make everybody else run and he would run into them. He's he's a modern day fireman or a police officer. When everybody else is running away from the situation, Samson is running in. Samson's the type of guy who everybody's running and Samson stops and picks up the jawbone of a donkey and kills a thousand guys with it. That's the kind of guy Samson is, but he's not just using that strength to do what he was born to do, which was to defeat the Philistines. He's also using that ability to intermingle with the Philistines. (laughs) He's using that ability to get women. Oh, and he's getting them. But the problem is, because he was created for something else, God keeps destroying every relationship that he gets into. God even allows Samson to marry a woman that God knew he wouldn't stay married to. Because he knew it would make Samson mad enough to do what God had called him to do. Now, I I, I use Samson also as as not just a, a nice story, but also a warning Because I don't want you to end up like Samson. I don't want you to end up blind and bald, drug into the purpose of God for your life. I want you to, before you lose your eyesight and you lose your hair, to say, God, I get what you're trying to do. And some of y'all are mad because it's like everything you keep trying to do in this direction gets frustrated. And you're not recognizing that God is frustrating all of those plans because God is is trying to point you in the direction of another plan. And if you're not careful, he'll have to take your sight and your hair. (laughs) But he will get out of you what he created you to do. Bald, blind Samson is at the end of his life and God sets him in between two pillars that are apparently holding the whole city up Because Samson pushes these two pillars apart. The buildings come collapsing down. And in Samson's last day when he's bald and he's blind, he kills more of his enemies than he had ever killed before. I'm just trying to encourage somebody today. Don't let it get to the bald and blind stage. You can say yes to God today. Because I want to tell you, once he's committed to you, he's committed to you. And, and part of that commitment is that he is committed to frustrate everything that you try to do in life that's outside of him. And it's not just for people like Mary. And it's not just for people like Samson It's also for people like Cain. You can take this all the way back that once God is committed to someone, they could could do the worst thing humanly possible and God still keeps his commitment. When you look at the story of Cain, very often you look at the story and after he kills Abel, we stop the story. But after he kills Abel, God comes in and he punishes him severely. He kicks him out He tells him that he's going to be cursed, that he's going to have to work the ground the rest of his life. And so Cain is at the point where he says, well, I might as well die because anybody that sees me in this condition is going to kill me. And God says, not so. Even to Cain, he says, not so. Anybody that tries to kill you, I'm going to protect you from them. And let's just say somebody happens to kill you. God says, I will punish them seven times over. And then he tells him, he says, and I have marked you so that anyone who looks at you will know that they are not to mess with you because I have marked you. I just came to tell somebody who doesn't feel like the Virgin Mary, and you feel like the murderer Cain, that God also has his hand on you, that God also has marked you, that you don't have to be perfect and you can make some mistakes, but God will stick with you from the beginning all the way to the end of your story. Because once you belong to him, you belong to him. I love it because he said, none that you gave to me have I lost. No one can snatch them out of my hand. He said, anybody that comes to me, I'll never turn him away. I came to tell somebody today, you might not feel like the Virgin Mary. And I think sometimes we look at this story and we try to disqualify ourselves. We try to nitpick our life. And, well, God could never do that in me because I don't don't have those same qualifications. God could never do that in me because, man, I, I, I didn't pass the test like Joseph. Oh, man, as you look through... The story and the history of our faith, what you find is God isn't looking for perfect people. He's just looking for available people. Yeah. Let me give you this thought. Mary says, How is this going to happen? Since I've never been with a man, how am I going to get pregnant? This isn't a ridiculous question to ask because she's just looking at the science of it all. Like this is an impossible thing. I'm not saying that you cannot do the impossible, but how is this going to happen? Because I've never been with a man. And God says, oh, this doesn't require Joseph. this is going to be done by the Holy Spirit. One of the things we have to understand about when the favor of God comes on our lives is not only do we need a willingness to look foolish because God doesn't reveal His plan to everyone. Sometimes He just reveals it to us in the beginning. Also, we need to have a willingness to say yes to a God who wants to give us things we didn't ask for but we need to understand that God is able to do what he wants to do without Joseph. Joseph represents the thing that you think you need to do what God has called you to do. How's this going to happen? I've never been with a man. How's this going to happen? I don't have the resources. How's this going to happen? I don't have the pedigree. How's this going to happen? I don't have the background. How's this going to happen? I don't have the influence. How is this gonna happen? I come from the wrong family. How is this gonna happen? I've made too many mistakes. How is this gonna happen? Blah, 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 blah. And we list all of the things as to why this couldn't happen. And God says, I don't need Joseph to get this done. This thing that's gonna get done is going to be by the Holy Spirit. It's not gonna be by might. It's not gonna be by power, but it's gonna be by my Spirit, says The Lord. Everyone has a limit to their ability. And this is the place where you need divine intervention. Where you need a miracle. A miracle is simply something that could not happen unless he made it happen. I love this about God. God doesn't have to find a way. He makes a way. A miracle is an inconceivable act of grace. It's when God has to suspend natural laws or rules to do something he wants to do. A miracle is you're not scientifically supposed to be able to walk on water. The miracle is Peter steps out and he walks on the thing everybody else is sinking into. It's a miracle you're not supposed to be dead in a grave, in a tomb for three days and get up out of that grave. When Jesus walks out of that grave, that's what we call a miracle. It's when we get to the end of our human ability and we need divine intervention. Is there anybody in the room that needs divine intervention in your life? And I came to tell somebody today, you're waiting on Joseph and God says you don't need Joseph. You don't need Joseph for this. Remember the man that was at the pool? He was there for 38 years waiting for a man to help him. Jesus comes up to him and he says, do you want to be made well? He says, I don't have a man. I don't have a Joseph. I don't have an angel. I don't have a friend. Nobody's here to help me. And God gives him a miracle. He simply looks at him. He says, get up. That's a miracle. He didn't push him in the pool. He just spoke to him and some of the stuff that God's gonna do in your life, you're gonna to have to have the patience and you're gonna have to have the faith required to wait until God just speaks to it. You're looking for something natural to happen. You're looking for the bank balance to start to grow. You're looking for things to start to happen. You're looking for doors to start to open and all you're gonna hear, it's not gonna be something that you see in front of you that identifies God is moving. All you're gonna hear is God say to your situation and my situation, it's time to get up. It's time to move. It's time to take a step. Because <sighs> I don't need Joseph for this. The things that you think you need to do what I've asked you to do, you don't need them. You need a miracle. <laughs> her life is so wild. She's, she's thrown into chaos as a teenage girl. Her life is turned upside down her and joseph find themselves traveling to different places as as immigrants and trying to find a home there's no safe place really for them in the known world and she's faithful And I believe Joseph was faithful through it all. You don't get to hear much about Joseph's story. Some assume that Joseph finally just got so tired of all of the rumors and all of the stuff that he finally walked away. And I'm like, there's no way he stayed through all of that and made that journey to Egypt and back to just walk away. I think that Joseph was a faithful man. I think that Joseph just died and we don't really get to hear much of his death. They go through all of that and they remain faithful to God. Can you and I stay faithful when we're confused? Even when the rest of our life is going to be affected by a decision we didn't even make, living a life that we didn't choose but one that chose us, can we stay faithful? Because if you can, let me give you a verse that really encourages me in moments like this. First Peter 5 and 10, it says, After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. I think sometimes we look at Mary's life and it can feel... Like a tragic one. But I guarantee you, if you were to talk to Mary, she would tell you it was the greatest story that anyone could ever live. Because that's what the will of God is, is even though it can be full of things that look to people on the outside like, man, that's devastating. That's awful. Mary experienced peace that passes all understanding you don't get peace that passes all understanding pursuing your own will you don't get to experience jehovah jireh pursuing your own agenda and i'm just telling you some of y'all are missing out on the greatest attributes of god that are to ever be witnessed in your life because you want to do it your way mary would say he protected us he provided for us We should have died multiple times, but he kept us. Oh, I saw him die an excruciating death, but I got to raise the son of God. How many people get to say that about their lives? And you know what else? I lived long enough that I was in Acts chapter 2. I was in Acts chapter 1. I was in the upper room with all of those disciples. And those same disciples were in the upper room in Acts chapter 2. And when the Holy Spirit was poured out in their lives, Everybody who thought I had lost Jesus didn't realize I was getting him back. Can you you stay around long enough until what the enemy stole from you and trouble took from you and pain robbed you of? Can you stay around long enough to get it all back? Because if you look at her life, man, she lost Jesus. Ah, just for a minute. And then he came back. Jesus said, I'm leaving. And the Holy Spirit, who is God, He is me. He'll talk about me. He'll remind you of all of the things I had to say. I was with you. He will be in you. She thought she had a close relationship with Jesus while he was alive. She didn't realize it was going to get better when his own spirit came and moved in. On the inside. Can you imagine the mother of Jesus in the upper room as those tongues of fire fall on each one of them? And she's like, that's my boy. (laughs) If you can hang out long enough, you'll see the return. The Bible says Jesus himself will restore to you. He'll do it. It may not come back in the form it was when it left your life. It'll come back better. God never asks you to release something or let something go so that He can take something from you. The only reason He's asking you to let something go is so that He can give something better to you. 2 Corinthians 6, 8-10 is a really cool portion of Scripture And I think it really represents our lives if we were to be honest. Paul's writing, he says, Through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as imposters and yet are true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. I think if we could come to grips that this is really a picture of our lives, It's not going to be all poverty, but it's not going to be all wealth either. It's not going to be all honor, but it's not going to be all dishonor. It's not going to be all trouble, but it's all not going to be pleasure either. And I think if we could just come to grips and say, you know what? In the honor and the dishonor, in the joy, in the pain. When everybody believes me and when everybody thinks I'm lying, you know what, God? You've never forsaken me. And your Son, coming from heaven to earth, is the prime example that you are committed to a joy in my life that has nothing to do with any of these circumstances. I want to encourage you in something. I won't let you go, but I was thinking about Christmas, and I was thinking about how we can all build up, you know, these expectations of moments in our lives. And uh, and Christmas is one of those. You know, you have this mindset of, you know, how your kids are going to react to your gifts. And if you've had kids for long enough, you're like, that's a silly way to live your life. Like... (laughs) Because it's been weird. I've, I've bought things for my kids and I thought, man, that's the thing they're going to go crazy over. And then the other thing that I didn't think they would even care about, they lost their mind and they were super excited about. And then there have been years where I bought them stuff and I thought, man, they should have been a lot more grateful for that. That, <laughs> that hurt. That gift hurt me <laughs> to give. And then sometimes you get together as families and you have these expectations, you know. It's going to be enough mashed potatoes for everybody, but there never seems to be enough <laughs> mashed potatoes. Everybody's going to get along, right? And Nobody's going to talk about politics and you know But I think if we would lower our expectations of our friends and our family and increase our expectation of Jesus, we could have a Christmas like no other. And if my life is rooted in Christ, then when I get to Christmas dinner and someone wants to talk about this or talk about that and things become divisive and, and I'm tempted to jump in the middle of all of that and say what I have to say, I don't have to. Because I have nothing to prove. See, this is the joy of Jesus is that because he was someone, I'm free to be nobody. Because he's accomplished so much, I don't have to accomplish anything. Nothing to prove. And so many of you go, you, you go to your, your holiday situations, and, and, and you, you, some of you don't because you have nothing to show for your past year. You don't want to go and be like, when are y'all going to have a baby? When are y'all going to get married? When are you going to do this? When are you going to move? Where are you living now? What's your job? Where did you go to college? Are you graduated? Did you get this? Did you? And all of those expectations. And and if you're a Christian, you can go into all of that and know, I don't have to prove anything to any aunts and uncles or anybody. As a matter of fact, I'm free to be wrong because he's right. So I don't, have to, I don't have to jump up and defend my position or my opinion. I can just go enjoy the daggum pie and open that wonderful gift of brute cologne from some random family member, some socks. Enjoy every stinking moment. Because I have, and some of the houses we go to and they smell funny, don't they? And, and, uh, but I have nothing to prove. My heart is settled. My mind is full of peace because Jesus is that fixed thing in my life that no one can take from me and no one can take me from him. Anybody in the room grateful for that today? Will you stand on your feet with me today? As you're standing, would you bow your head and close your eyes, or maybe wait till you're standing so you don't fall over and be awkward, sorry. I just want to ask if there's anybody in the room today who feels far from God, maybe you've never given your life to Jesus. Maybe you've never been saved, maybe. You've never asked him to forgive you of your sin and be your Lord and Savior. Or maybe you're here today and you've been walking your own direction and you say, Man, I wanna I wanna repent and I wanna come home today. I want to start my journey home today. So if that's you, you want to invite Jesus into your life as your Lord and Savior. So that he can cleanse you from all of your unrighteousness and make you new, make you acceptable and pleasing to the Father. And maybe you're here today and you say, man, I want to start back home today. If that's you, I'm going to count to three. And when I do, I just, I just want you to throw your hand up in the air. And we're going to pray for you and believe that in this moment, God is going to supernaturally change your life. Old things are passing away. All things are becoming new. So if that's you, one, two, three, throw your hand up in the air. Oh my goodness, hands everywhere. Awesome. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Almost every aisle, every section. Praise the Lord. Come on, everybody in the room, especially those that lifted their hand, let's pray this together. Dear Jesus, thank you that you love me, that you gave your life for me. Here's my life. Use it for your glory. I repent of my sins. I confess you as Lord. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for receiving me. Thank you for saving me in Jesus name. Amen and amen. Come on, let's just worship together. Come on, can we sing? Hey Come on, throw your hands up in the air and sing it out loud. God we thank you today for your word, I thank you for your people. I, I pray that I pray that we would consistently and collectively stay in this type of moment with you. The enemy wants to break us out of this as if this can't be the everyday experience of our life. But, but help us to live in your presence because in your presence, there's fullness of joy. To your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. It can live without a lot of things, but it cannot live without your presence. So help us to Stay in this mindset as we walk through the rest of this year and into next year. Jesus, you are that fixed point of reference in our life, and we thank you for that. Amen and amen. Come on, are you glad you came to church today? I'm I'm happy I came.